Ready? Born ready. Welcome back. It is Tuesday, December 6th. It's another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At. You know what today is? It's election day. If it's a Tuesday in Georgia, it feels like it's an election day. But for real, this is the final election for 2022. The runoff between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. We shall see who will win. Uh, Herschel has gone pretty quiet, you know, uh, politically. I think that actually makes a lot of sense for him uh, because he seems prone to say something that's just a little strange or embarrassing. Uh, the latest issue that he has been dealing with is his residency. Is he a Georgia resident or not? So before he ran for Senate and maybe even while running for Senate, uh, Herschel has lived in Texas, right? He was recruited. Um, by Donald Trump. And at the time, Trump knew that he was in Texas. But the sticky point is that he applied for a tax break on his home in Texas. And you can only do that if that is your primary residence. So that seems to make folks say, okay, well, you are in Texas. So electing you would mean Texas now has three senators. Right? Um, So, you know, ultimately, Herschel just needs the campaign and the Republican apparatus to have a strong field operation to help get out the vote. So as long as he just basically stays relatively quiet and they are strong on their get out the vote effort, I think he still has a shot. Now, there's one Republican who did not vote for Herschel, and that is outgoing Lieutenant Governor Republican Jeff Duncan. He said that he waited an hour to vote, He got into the voting booth. And he just couldn't bring himself to vote for Herschel Walker, but he also couldn't bring himself to vote for Raphael Warnock. Uh, Walker, or Duncan rather, has consistently called for a new version of the Republican Party. We've talked about this a couple times on the pod. Uh, Take a listen to what he said on CBS. It's a national outlet. I'm a conservative. Uh, I'm a conservative because I think it's the best way to govern. Uh, I've been a Republican a lot longer than a lot of folks. I think I've got kids probably that could articulate the conservative platform better than some of the candidates that Donald Trump and, and his uh, his group uh, supported all across the country. This wasn't the right brand for, for Republicanism. And I think uh, Herschel Walker will probably go down as one of the worst Republican candidates in, in our party's history. Earlier today. So, yeah, I, you know, Jeff Duncan is on an island, unfortunately for him. I think a lot of Democrats heard what he said about not voting for either person, and they said, well, not voting means that you're you're making a decision one way or the other, regardless of if you say, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting into it. Um, and they kind of just felt like it was a cop-out, right? Like, take a stand, choose one side or the other. Um, and then you have Republicans who, you know, are upset and like, oh, Jeff Duncan, you're a Republican in name only, yada, yada. I think, you know, ultimately, I think there are a lot of Republicans who feel the way Jeff Duncan feels, um, but they're just not willing to maybe say it publicly. 
um, we'll see. We'll see if he feels vindicated or not um, when the election results come out. All right. Now, we started with something Georgia, but we're going to switch gears and talk about something in Atlanta. So last week, we talked about this um, terrible situation that occurred right outside of Atlantic Station, where we had uh, kids that were killed, kids that were shot. There was a 12-year-old boy named Zion who was killed. And then we found out a few days later that another kid, who I believe was 15 or 16, was also killed. So there was a video circulating of Zion's mother, and she was talking in front of the Atlanta City Council's Public Safety Committee meeting. But there were two other speakers that I want to make sure you hear because that was not circulated on social media, and they're worth listening to. So first, you're going to hear from his grandmother. So this is Zion's mom. This is the kid's grandmother. Take a listen. My daughter called me and said, Mama, where you at? So I'm gone. She said, what's Zion? I said, when I left, he was on the chair asleep. Zion, don't go out the house, Zion. By the time I got back, he was gone. He was gone. And then we got the call and he was dead. Not only was my grandson confused, he lost his, he lost his granddaddy and he lost his uncle. They was taking care of him. I guess they kind of had a missile effect on him. He was going through something. We reached out. We tried to call. I even called the police. Please lock him up. Please lock him up. I begged him. So you saying that my grandson got to go out here and kill somebody or get killed before y'all can lock him up. He dead now. He can't be locked up now. He dead. The system has failed us again. So right before that, portion she's talking about that they had lost two male family members in the family and so this is a family that is now grieving the loss of three males um, of different ages and so she was saying that the uh, the impact of losing those two male it seemed like maybe father figures to him or to some expect uh, some extent um, those were back-to-back losses that I think it sounds like the family maybe had a hard time coping with and they were pretty like they were literally like back to back within months of each other Uh, the next person is a woman named peaches who's kind of seen i guess as a community leader she called herself kind of like a street preacher this is someone who seems really connected to uh that area take a listen to what she says we losing every day we losing it don't affect the system until it knocks on your front door the violence, we might not be able to stop it, but we can control it. We can control it. We can control this now. I come back, I'm breathing on 80%. I barely can move. And I came because this is my family. We ain't going to put a shame on what he did. We're going to put a shame on what y'all can do to stop it. We're going to have to change. Come on. Y'all got to put the pens to work. I ain't come for no money. I come for a solution. I don't need to be funded. I need a solution. This my city. I've been here five decades in these streets. I walk these streets. I've seen the best come and the best go. But I have never witnessed the system of killing that these kids are doing. 
So you got to think. I want all y'all to close your eyes on the panel. If you could do that for me. Imagine. Imagine. Now, come on, close your eyes for me. Imagine going into the grocery store shopping. Imagine you got your baby son with you. And you come out the store. You've been robbed from your child. Then what gonna happen? Then what gonna happen? You can't worry about sending them to prison. But it'll help. It'll help. Come on, man, we need curfew. When I was coming up, we had curfew. We had trans officers. We gotta buckle up, man. We, whatever we gotta do to hire more security, more polices. We're gonna have to do this to save our city. If, it, if, we, if we don't save our city, it's game over. I don't care what position y'all got. It's game over. They don't care about it. They ain't scared of nothing. When you get in your mind that you ain't afraid of nothing, you know what that, you know that feels like. So we all facing it. Whether y'all put the pen to work, whether we get these correct, these channels open for these people with organizations, open up these channels. All men ain't thugs. Everybody don't want to be a gangster. Everybody don't want to kill. Everybody don't want to rob. Everybody don't want to steal. We got to save our community. Hmm. So you hear her, and then there's another person, Dewan Robinson. He's the one who organized them coming down to City Hall. This was, again, in front of the Public Safety Committee meeting. Um, and they both... <clears throat> they both called for a 7 p.m. curfew. So council member Keisha Waits has plans to introduce legislation for a citywide curfew for unsupervised youth of seven, at 7 p.m. Now, there's a current curfew already on the books for 11 p.m., and then it's midnight on the weekends. Now, there, of course, there are exceptions if a kid is working, um, and I suspect there would be exceptions if this legislation does pass, for if a kid is working or doing some type of after-school activities. You know, Atlantic Station already has a curfew. Um, they have what is now a 3 p.m. curfew uh, if you are an unsupervised minor. But that did not change those kids from going to Atlantic Station after curfew. So does a 7 p.m. curfew make sense? I mean, this is, I think, going to be a robust debate in front of city council and from community leaders, you know, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but at the end of the day, it doesn't change behavior at, the, at its core. Because if a kid wants to get out and go do something, a kid is going to go do something. But there's talk about how do you hold the parents accountable in enforcing a curfew? So one option is, okay, your kid is out after hours, after curfew, you'll receive a citation. And if it continues, then it escalates, right? But I don't know, what is that tipping point where you've gone too far? Yeah. Is it, you can't put it, putting a parent in jail because a child broke curfew does absolutely nothing for the family. I mean, my thing is, we all mad at Kamala Harris or not? Because it sounds like the same system that she had in California. On truancy, no matter how it was, it was a truancy law. So you want another truancy law in Atlanta? Nah. Uh, like I said, off mic, this all of all of it sounds crazy. 
I'm not gonna lie to you. Like you begging to put your child in jail, that doesn't make any sense to me. No sense whatever. You get up there, you say, I'm not coming for money, but we need to open these facilities. Lady, that's money. You're asking for money. I think she meant I don't well, I don't know, but I was assuming she meant her. Either way it goes money. No, even with her. It all see but it's that too, was that was something that Cassine campaigned on. It was something that Andre campaigned on is we're opening up these rec centers so kids have a constructive place to go. But what they're saying is the rec centers aren't open they're not funded long enough. I well none of it nobody's funded, one. And then two, there's no money in the city, period. So when she's asking for money, money is the problem. See, that's the issue I don't like about it. Yeah, you say you in the streets. It's no way you in the streets if you don't know all this is about money, period. Whether it's about funding, whether it's about cutting a check for reparations. But before I go that far, I would say no more truancy laws. You don't need that. That 11 o'clock curfew is good enough because if you are unsupervised you past 11, what you doing, right? You heard the grandma. That situation was a child disobeying parents, period. So if you disobey parents, you're gonna disobey the law. Like there's, I agree with that. There's everybody knows there's a correlation. So what's with the that. alternative? The alternative is before I before I go as deep as reparations, I'll say cut the check on the first level as far as getting some of these rec centers and nonprofits more funded, and then get more funding for the homes so fathers can be in the homes because she did say the granddaddy died. And the uncle died. died. And that's Mm -hmm. very unfortunate. But that's not his dad, right? A grandfather has a different role in his life. Don't get me wrong. That grandfather role is very important. So I can understand them being down for him. Uncle too. I'm a very active uncle, right? So I know we got to step in and fill that gap. Right. But I know if any given time, the father wants to be active. Now, I can understand if you are locked up in jail and you don't want to be active. Like, we are reaching out and you're telling us, Hey, I don't even, I'm not claiming that kid. Okay, cool. We have to do other things. But wh- where is that part of the conversation? Yeah. Well, for, you know for what is worth, the Department of Justice actually has a program in, I know it's for sure in county jails. I don't know if it's in federal prisons or not, but it's a young, it's particularly a young father's program. So I think it's 18 to 35. And the whole point of it is, while you're in jail and then once you get out, like we're making sure you have the tools necessary so that you can be an active father in your child's and, life. And that's great. They always have stuff for jail. So I'm, you uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Jail. The point is but you can you get don't, program. Right. Where, where's that program before I go to jail? Correct. Like those, uh, see my whole issue with this whole system, every time people go up, it's never the problem that's at hand. It, for me, is that gap it's the middle class it's the working poor right you talk about homelessness Mm -hmm. that's cool right because you can see them under the bridge nobody goes to the extended stays and talks about those kids that there's so many kids now the bus picks them up from an extended stay yep you it's not supposed to be lived in right right but you have people but you don't look at them as the homeless people why? Oh, Correct. They're yeah, working they're not in included there. in the homeless count. He, and, That's it's true. The, and it's the same thing with all of these programs. As soon as you get locked up, 
on both sides, male or female, GED programs, business programs. Mm-hmm. I mean, all types of opportunities. Construction, welding, all that, yeah. But we on the outside is now I know personally of one program that's down in like Barnesville, Georgia, uh, Westcare, the nonprofit, they do that, right? Where it's kind of like the step before jail. Hey, you're messing up so much and you're a young man, come here four to six months, get your mind together, get some skills, learn something, and then we put you back in Is society. It, wasn't that like an AmeriCorps? Something like that. Was to, like that too. Uh, job Corps like that job too. Corps, like yeah, all, was, but yeah, no, AmeriCorps is one of them too. Okay. Like all of these, but those programs have lost funding. See, that's the other thing nobody's talking about this COVID stuff, right? All of that COVID money that went to, oh, you can go refund your police. Why we didn't put that COVID money back into the rec centers, back into the job corps, back into those programs? Because would you want to put more police on the beat for the truancy laws? See, what these young boys needed was a different outlet. Yeah. That's all they needed was a different outlet. The Atlanta Station stuff, that just sounds like, yeah. hey, we I think they need a different outlet. Else. And I think I mentioned this in last week's episode. Like, I know I personally, like, emotionally have felt different during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? So, sure as heck, a freaking 11, 12 year old kid is going to as well. They've lost connection with reality. Right. Like that's still three can't believe the years outside. of their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what has been like being a kid dealing with uh, a global pandemic. So, and, and not to mention what you lost as a kid. Right. You're losing family members, but you're also losing opportunities. You're losing mm-hmm. fun. You're losing. I couldn't imagine yeah. being in the house all year long at 15, 14, 15. Right. I was working. I was going on different trips for my school. Like It was a lot of stuff yeah. going on. So, like I said, nobody's talking about those issues. They want to rush to the truancy and locking everybody back up. Yeah, so you know, and we're taping on a Sunday, so that means we're gonna miss the de- the council debate on Monday about this. Assuming this will be uh, discussed in full council uh, on Monday, but we'll pick it up certainly next week because I I think this is like this could be a podcast episode of its own with you know with a couple of folks just talking about what what do you do because. A curfew to me feels like a bandage and it doesn't actually address the root issue. But at the end of the day, you also have folks saying we need to do something now, right? Like in the immediate and some solutions are going to take time. All of it's going to take now. There's no immediate solution for this. You know, an immediate solution is going to give you a three strikes law in Atlanta and then you'll be crying 10 years from now. Yeah, that's, oh, are I you feel the, like that would be an absolute are, disaster. Are, are you the same person in Atlanta City Council that voted for Right. And now you want to vote for it? Like, nah, right now there's no... Every situation for this specific situation that it all stemmed from, let's be real. Half of them boys weren't supposed to be out there and you just heard from the grandma. I saw him sleep. He jerked on out. Like, he yeah. ran out the door. There's, there's, yeah, there's no, no law, policy, for... nothing that would stop that Correct. outside of if you're a parent, put air tags in your kids' stuff, you know, check their phone, like do all the extra um, mm-hmm. helicopter parenting yeah, stuff. Surveillance, yeah, surveillance, yeah. Yeah, but outside of that, what are you going to do? Because no police, no, no. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Nope, nah. That made no sense. No, and even if they instituted a curfew tonight, I don't think APD, the Atlanta Police Department, even has the capacity to actually track this. And what happened to that military school? They don't do that no more? I think so. 
why, why are you suggesting you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause I mean, I they meant, maybe they didn't know that was even a, a possibility. Like, I don't know. Like, this is one of those things where yeah. it seems like, I mean, the mom said, See, so that, so to answer you, what's the immediate solution right now? Let's give a list of resources that you can go ahead. Hey, yeah. if your kid is following the same path or some of them kids that right. caught up that was out there and their friends, right. Hey, send the ass to this school. Send it to this program. This is mm-hmm. where, because clearly they can't be home. See, the other issue is there's at-home solutions and then there's outbound solutions. Right. Those kids need outbound solutions, but it ain't the jail. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jail is an outbound solution, but that's the last one. That should be the last resort. Give me job core. Give me military school. Give me something else, not jail, but it can't be something in the house. I have to go. Right. Period. There, there you go. So, you know. Somebody out there, if I had something, I'd do some research, find, find about these military schools. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is going to end up being I a wake-up. I see major pain. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if this is going to be a wake-up call for families who are in the same predicament, right, where it could have easily been their kid. Like, if they're going to change behavior and have some real conversations in their households. This is an issue that's everybody's kid, truthfully. Because this is a, a accident. You because you yeah. had half of the kids that was there on Marara. You had the other half that's just well, you know, my son is a cool kid. He listens, he's a smart kid, very sensible. But he could have easily got caught up with a friend or a cousin mm-hmm. that's like, Hey, we chilling here, now we've ended up here. Now we might even look at the location, hey, call hey, what you doing at Atlanta Station? Get back home. In between the time of getting back home and that something could have happened. Happen. Yeah. So this is a every kid thing. It's just have a conversation with your child and then, you know, have a conversation with yourself. You know, like, yeah. are you doing, do you know where your kid is? Like they said, it's 10 yeah. p.m. Do you know where your kid is? Right. And they did. They just didn't have the extra step. If you know your kid is crazy, wild like this, not crazy, wild like this, put the surveillance on. Right. He has a cell phone. You can't, you know, you you can cut it on and leave it on with the uh Kid, you know, mm-hmm. it's just but immediate right now. Give me all these resources. Like, we can do that right there. We can do a seminar with hey, these are all the resources. This is how you buy the phone. Hey, T Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, let's do a free, you know, switch over plans where you're not going to charge me $30 to put this lock on my chick or kid's phone. You know, this that's what I'm saying. It gets deep when you really want to talk about it. You could, but it's an extra fee on Verizon. Oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? Where where's the free program? You give me free internet. Why not free child safety? Hmm. You know what I'm saying. I always get hey, you can get thirty dollar credit. Where's the thirty dollar credit for the child safety though? You know, like these are things that we could be pushing for before you talk about lock your own kid up. You know, Council Member Keith, that's who you heard it from. <laughs> um, all right. A really interesting discussion. I I have a feeling we're going to be talking about it next week, too. Um, So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some national stuff. Although this last, this next thing has a little bit of a Georgia flavor to it. Um, Ezra Klein, who, if you don't know, has a New York Times podcast. Uh, He interviewed Michael Doherty of National Review, who he's also a fellow at America Enterprise Institute's a conservative think tank for folks who may not be familiar. Um, and this interview is about kind of the future of the Republican Party and conservatism. And they were talking about Ron DeSantis, of course, who is becoming a media darling in the sense that 
he is seen so far as the one to beat in the 2024 Republican primary. And so there was a question about why has DeSantis risen over other Republican governors, namely Greg, Greg Abbott in Texas, and then, of course, Brian Kemp right here in Georgia. Take a listen to part of the conversation. In Florida, when Ron DeSantis was elected, Democrats outnumbered Republicans by 270,000 in registrations in Florida. In the summer of this year, Republicans outnumbered Democrats by over 300,000 on the registries in Florida. That's from in-migration, that's from the Florida GOP working hard to register new people. There's a little bit of role clearing too, which I will acknowledge, probably pushed some Democrats off the registered roles. He's brought in people that were skeptical of the COVID era guidelines, and many of them have made a political transformation, right? They no longer identify with their previous maybe center-left politics or, or maybe far crunchy left politics, and they've come over to the Republicans as like an anti-establishment alternative. And I think that is what puts him so far ahead of like a Brian Kemp or a Greg Abbott in these past couple of years and why he's polling as high as he is. Yeah, so there are a couple of things there I want to try to unpack. So one uh, about COVID and how he remade himself around that. Uh, there's another point of the conversation that I also think is worth listening to. Take a listen to this. And there's been a f institutional failure on the Republican side to translate the instincts and aspirations of the Republican base into policy. Now, you might be, I hate Republican base voter aspirations and say like, well, that's great, or that they can't be translated into policy because it's just some kind of cultural resentment or just uh, the belch of the angry party. But that failure is how Donald Trump stepped in and smashed the party and, and affected his hostile takeover of it in 2016 is that this connection had been lost, the kind of essential connection in a representative democracy between voters and representatives. And until Republicans restore that, I think you are going to see this kind of mix of populist versus establishment sniping with very little policy substance to the party at all. So you would need politicians who are intelligent enough and sensitive enough to speak passionately about things that their constituents actually care about and translate that into policy. That is what would restore trust in the Republican Party as an institution, rather than as just like a platform vehicle on which to like run up on the stage and perform slam poetry on the culture war. Let me also... <laughs> that was such a good line, perform slam poetry on the culture war. Um, it's funny to know about slam poetry. <laughs> so I I listened to that and I thought to myself, that kind of feels like someone like Brian Kemp has a slight opening in the national scene. Uh, you've heard me say, you've heard me often compare to DeSantis, Kemp feels like a moderate Republican, right? But then when you compare Kemp to our last Republican governor in Georgia, Nathan Deal, Kemp feels pretty conservative. And so he's kind of able to toe this line between 
being uber conservative and being relatively moderate in a way that Ron DeSantis just can't and hasn't desired to, it seems like. I think it seems like DeSantis has desired to more take of the, the Trump approach. Um, and I imagine if you put the two people in a room, DeSantis and Kemp, Kemp would be more likable compared to DeSantis. Yeah, I never thought about President Kemp, but it sounds like a... Now, I am not saying President Kemp is going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> but I could you see... You hear it here first. <laughs> I could see him trying to flex a national political muscle. Um, which is kind of interesting. Um, and it also makes me wonder, how does he, given that, does he govern any differently in the second term? Uh, and then with the upcoming 2023 legislative session, how does he handle that, right, given more and more of a national interest in Kemp? And, of course, I mentioned last week that he now has a federal PAC, um, which means it sounds like he's going to be trying to make some play um, nationally, whether that's endorsing and supporting candidates or, you know, something along those lines. And there are other Republican governors who have done that. Um, I should also point out that Georgia has a pretty strong connection to the Repu Republican Governors Association um, and other kind of key Republican national organizations in part because of there's a core group of guys, Republican guys in Georgia, who have played on the national level, uh, both in the governor's offices and at the presidency. And if you recall Mike Pence, the former vice president, his chief of staff came from Georgia. So there's some really strong ties between Georgia Republicans and national players. Damn. All right. A few big things happen on the labor front that I want to update you on. We talked about one of them last week, I was surprised at how fast Congress moved on this. Um, so we mentioned last week that President Biden was trying to avoid a railroad strike. And so he asked Congress to step in and pass legislation to codify the original terms of that presidential advisory board. This is what uh, the presidential advisory board had negotiated uh, back in September, a deal between the railroads and the workers Four of those unions turned down and voted down those terms, um, and those four unions represented half of all railroad workers, so it was a big deal. The sticking point, of course, was that these folks, these workers, wanted guaranteed sick time. That seems kind of reasonable. Uh, so what Congress did uh, moved very quickly, literally the next day, I think, after this, the episode came out, or maybe it was the same day, uh, Congress passed two separate bills. So one was for the original terms, and the other would have granted workers seven days of paid sick leave. So both bills passed the House, or I should say both bills, ha both bills had to have passed the House and the Senate. So the very first bill, again, that's the one that was the terms from the Presidential Advisory Board, that passed both chambers. But the sick leave bill failed in the Senate. They had to get 60 votes. And there was already an assumption and expectation that that was going to happen. So here's what Biden said, because um, this really pissed folks off, right? He said, and I quote, look, I know this bill doesn't have paid sick leave that these rail workers and frankly, every worker in America deserves, but that fight isn't over. 
I've supported paid sick leave for a long time. I'm going to continue that fight until we succeed. So what happens next? Uh, the railroad workers could do something called a wildcat strike, uh, which means that they would go on an unauthorized strike. Uh, but when you go on an unauthorized strike, that means you don't get paid, right? Part of being in a union means that you're able to still be paid when you are on an organized approved strike. But that does not happen when you're on a wildcat strike. Uh, so that means these folks would be striking without pay. It's a big financial hit. It's a big risk. Um, but there's a possibility that if half of all railroad workers go on strike, Congress would have to bend the knee and say, okay, we're going to give you those seven days. Um, you know, I was listening to this happen and it almost reminded me of what's happening in Iran, where you've had people protesting in the street over uh, women having to wear the hijab. And Iran basically said, oh, we're going to do away with our morality police because it has absolutely upended the country because everyone has come out, regardless of how unsafe it is for them personally. And a, a mass of people have come out. And the government is like, okay, there are too many of you to ignore. There are too many of you to kill. So we're going to have to adjust and do something to tamp this down and give you what you want, or at least give you some of what you want. Um, and this happens in countries across the world, but I, I, don't, I haven't seen this happen in the United States, or at least not in a very long time, certainly not in my lifetime. So I don't know. We'll, I, I don't think the railroad workers will do it. Um, if they do, it would be seismic, um, but we'll see. And we'll see what Biden does. The other labor issue, uh, Delta pilots, another group that avoided a strike. Circumstances were obviously a bit different, uh, but pilots from our hometown airline will get a raise of at least 18% once their contract is signed, and then they'll get Another 5% raise after one year, and then a 4% raise after two years, and then a 4% raise after three years. They'll also get a one-time payment, which is the equivalent of about 22% of their earnings during the pandemic, which is pretty big. Now, like the railroad workers, it's not just about higher pay. It's also about improving their quality of life. Uh, according to a report from Reuters, the Delta's pilot union said that more than 25% of the value of their contract agreement is specifically on quality of life items. This includes things like 10 weeks of paid maternity leave, so being able to be there for your wife. I know, Keith, this is something we talk about a lot, the role of father. Uh, two weeks of paid parental leave, uh, and then reduced health insurance premiums, which we know, and particularly in America, that is such a big deal. Um, so congratulations to the pilots at Delta. I think all in all, this is like a $7 billion deal. Not cheap. Dang. But Delta is also one of the most successful airlines in the world. So successful, they get to tell you all to stay out the Delta sky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Guess I can't sneak in anymore. <laughs> Dang. 
And then the last labor thing we'll talk about is Starbucks. This was huge. Uh, so kind of, you know, interesting nationally, there was this a bit of a loss, you could say, on the on the uh, railroad side, but then a big win on the Starbucks worker side. So the National Labor Review Board just ruled that Starbucks is violating labor law and refusing to engage in collective bargaining with the Starbucks Workers United Union. This is so big. So they issued a ruling and the ruling says, in part, and I quote, we shall order Starbucks to cease and desist from failing and refusing to recognize and bargain with the union. They also ordered Starbucks to post a notice at the unionized stores that reiterates that federal law gives employees the right to organize and to join a union or not. Uh, that means I suspect that it will also be posted at the Ansley Mall store and the Howell Mill store because those are the two stores in Atlanta that have voted to unionize, but Starbucks has not sat down with them to begin negotiations. Uh, the biggest thing about this ruling is that it res resets the negotiation clock. So now basically the workers and Starbucks have one year to sign a contract from when the workers vote to unionize, but Starbucks has been stalling that effort. And the NLRB just basically said, Nice try by stalling, but we are putting time back on the clock and you have to act in good faith and negotiate. So we'll see what Starbucks does next. Um, they have been fighting this tooth and nail every step of the way uh, and to be determined. So I'll keep you posted on that as things progress. All right, to round out the show, party poopers and party starters. The party's over. The party is over. Close the gates. What? All right. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your body? I'm the party pooper. So this was easy for me. The state of Georgia and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger are my party poopers because they did not seem to recognize that a shorter window of time of early voting in a runoff and then a drastic reduction, we're talking about like 80-90% drastic reduction in vote by mail would mean extra long lines for early voting. And I'm betting today election day we'll see long lines on election day. It's a shame that you have folks waiting an hour, two hours to vote in line when this was all preventable. I hope Again, I hope <laughs> that this election is a lesson learned for 2024. But even more importantly, I hope it starts a serious conversation in Georgia about ranked choice voting. And on to the party starter. Let's get it started in What's rule number one? Party. This is a big one. The Keith, I think you'll appreciate this. The Democratic National Committee voted Friday to remove Iowa as the first caucus state in the Democratic primary. 
and they're replacing Iowa allegedly with South Carolina, your state. <laughs> so according to the AP, Georgia and Michigan would move into the top five as new early states. That's also a huge deal. Uh, and then those primaries would be held in subsequent weeks. And here, by the way, if you don't know, the person who pushed this is none other than Joe Biden. Uh, and here's what he said, and I quote, For decades, black voters in particular have been the backbone of the Democratic Party, but have been pushed to the back of the early primary process. And he wrote this on personal stationery. So this was not on White House stationery. This was on me, Joe Biden, the individual. And he goes on to say, we rely on these voters in elections, but have not recognized their importance in our nominating calendar. It is time to stop taking these voters for granted and time to give them a louder and earlier voice in the process. Interesting. Even though Keith is over there laughing. <laughs> now, South Carolina is a big deal because it was a pivotal state. It changed the game for, uh, for um, Barack Obama. I'll redo that. Joe Biden. No, also, no, at first it changed the state for Obama. Oh, okay. Yeah, so South Carolina is a big deal because it changed the name of the game for Obama. Uh, once that that was really where the momentum shifted for him and then in 2016 it shifted the momentum for Bernie Sanders because it showed that black voters in South Carolina were not backing Bernie Sanders and then in 2020 it shifted the momentum for Joe Biden because black voters overwhelmingly came out and supported Joe Biden so could be interesting to see what happens. I don't know. Uh, I, there's still some things that have to be worked out. Uh, Republicans are going to keep Iowa first. Um, so that won't change on that end. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I think it also just will be interesting to see Georgia earlier in the mix. That's what I'm most interested in, obviously. But um, yeah, South Carolina. Because the difference is you've got, you know, like Pete Buttigieg was another one who did well in other states and got clobbered in South Carolina. Nah, I mean, I like it. You know, I think people are going to be surprised because I think that uh, Georgia is going to sway more than South Carolina is going to do. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I know y'all are tired of Georgia being the hot the hot topic, but it's going to be the hot topic for a little while. It's um because I live in Georgia and I'm from South Carolina. You have the same thing going on, but on two different sides of the coin. I think uh, black people in South Carolina, they do have a voice, but they're still part of an older mm -hmm. generation, yep. an older faction of people. Georgia is becoming progressive, especially when it comes to black people. So right. that's why you're still getting the voices on both sides, but it's not, Georgia is never going to, they're not going to quiet down. I mean, you have right. the, so we did a tour. We had these smaller pockets like these Albany's, Bacon, Savannah, like, they're starting to get more of a voice mm -hmm. like Atlanta. So, right. you know, this is going to be very interesting to see. Mm -hmm. It is. All right. As we close out, I got to give a shout out to the U.S. men's soccer team. <laughs> Granted, they were eliminated, but they did their best in the World Cup. And shout out to U.S. men's soccer. 
aka football the beautiful game all right y'all that is the show thank you all for tuning in until next time uh tell your friends tell your family leave us a note give us a five-star rating if you've got something you want us to talk about on the pod send us a voice note let us know always happy to hear from you have a great week go vote if you haven't already voted take someone with you and we'll see what happens next take care